Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, everybody. Just a note from me, Rhiannon, to say that my new supplements company, Hurrah, is finally here. It's taken years to get this off the ground. Retrition Plus is evidence-based, rooted in science, focused on you, and we offer vitamin D sprays, folic acid spray, and a vegan multivitamin. So head over to retritionplus.com for supplements you can finally trust. Hello, thank you so much for tuning into this week's Food for Thought, a podcast that's on a mission to equip you all with the evidence-based advice that you need to live and breathe a healthy lifestyle. I'm Rhiannon Lambert, a registered nutritionist, Sunday Times bestselling author and founder of the Harley Street Clinic Retrition and Evidence-Based Supplements Retrition Plus. In each episode of the 12 episodes, I'll be joined by guests, all of whom are experts in their field. So together, we can learn fact from fiction, empower ourselves to become the healthiest and happiest versions of ourselves with trusted expert advice. The effects of climate change are set to be irreversible by 2030. That's not very far off, and it is scary. And if we continue as we are, well... For the sake of our own lives, I think, as well as our children and the future generations to come, we need to make sure that we take the necessary steps to look after the world that we live on because it's becoming ever so important with every second and hour that goes by. This week's Food for Thought sees consultant nutritionist Elfie Medici and I uncover... I think what being sustainable means, we had such a wonderful conversation on how what we eat can have a huge impact on the environment and we don't sugarcoat things for you. We're pretty straightforward whilst also trying to be as positive as possible about a very difficult conversation. We discuss what we can do to eat more sustainably. I hope you enjoy. Hello, Alfie. Oh, hello, Rhiannon. I'm absolutely thrilled to be here. Thank you. Oh, no, it's our pleasure. Uh, This is a topic that I am immensely passionate about and I think a very important one for our listeners um, because obviously it's going to impact all of us. So I guess we should start by what does it mean to be truly sustainable, really? Yeah, that's a good place to start as we're going to discuss sustainable diet. And it never fails to amaze me whenever I talk about sustainable diets and I lecture on it quite frequently, everyone automatically associates sustainability with environment. 
and that's it. However, if we look at the definition from various large organizations, the UN, the FAO and the World Health Organization's latest publication on sustainable diets, as well as the Eat Lancet, which most people in our profession are aware of, they define it as a food system that can support both human and planetary health. And also for now and for the future. So it's thinking long term as well as short term. So it's too interchangeable and they're interchangeable and they can't be separated. I think because like you said, people just don't think of the 360 degree picture. It's often one aspect of it, um, whereas, of course, it makes a difference. So let's start with the dietary aspect, which is what we're here predominantly for. Um, what is a planetary diet? Yeah, um, the term planetary diet came from the Eat Lancet scientists, and they called it the planetary health diet. Again, just bringing those two together. Um, and what it really is, is a food system, treating the food system in a way that provides nourishing food equally to everyone around the world. And doing that by taking into consideration cultural norms and differences between countries, as well as the economy. And we should be providing nutritious and healthy food to everyone in a way that helps nature as well. And that means not burdening the natural systems of the planet that keep it stable and support life. And the ultimate aim is to prevent hunger in the developing countries and to really um, reduce uh, non-communicable diseases in developed countries. So really bring in a balance of health across all the uh, biodiversity around the world. And that's something that we need to consider more. I think we come from a place of privilege or most people listening probably to this podcast. I realise that everyone's situation is unique and different, but in the Western world, we have to think of this globally, how the food systems that we consume and we use impact people in other countries around the world. And I know it may be a little bit of a pipe dream that we could all work in harmony with one another and come up with a different solution. But um, I guess even the topic itself, I find it so overwhelming, Althea. I find myself um, sometimes getting a bit yeah. stressed out, thinking, oh my goodness, you know, I've got two little boys now and I'm thinking of the future of the planet for them. And it, it, it's a bit overwhelming, isn't it? It can be, but I think us as consumers and individuals, we do have to take it one step at a time and we can do so much. I think the biggest onus needs to be on governments um, to really change things because the time bomb has started ticking and we haven't really got that much time to shift our dietary habits. But the great news about a sustainable diet, it's not a new diet. Dietitians and nutritionists are not going to be talking about new um, recommendations is actually a healthy eating diet what we've been saying forever so what's good for us is also good for the planet and it nurtures nature and it um, enhances biodiversity and just helps all creatures grow and thrive in the world so really when you look at the food-based dietary guidelines so with us in the uk it's the eat well guide but all many countries have food-based dietary guidelines predominantly if you look at our plate it's all plants and it should be healthful plants. And one key difference with planetary healthy diet, we should have a variety of plants. The more variety we have on the planet, the more we feed the soil, the healthier biodiversity, and then the more we can grow. So it's really that thing about variety and healthful uh, plants. Another really important thing is we have to reduce livestock. 
no matter how you play it, whether it's organic and regenerative farming, livestock take up 71% of the land in the UK. It's predominantly grazing. So we have to give back that land because what does the land do? It absorbs carbon and carbon brings the temperature down. It's not only what we emit in the atmosphere when we talk about greenhouse gases, but it's absorbing it. And what does that? It's plants and it's trees and it's peatlands and it's wild grasslands that can absorb it. Yeah, thank you for explaining that. It's, um, I think there will be people divided into different camps listening to this podcast, of course. There will be some people that will be like, oh, don't tell me not to eat animal products, which is not what we're telling people to do. But equally, people have to change. There is no way forward now if um, we don't have a mass change on the way we eat. Like you said, it's just about eating healthy. And I think reducing, reducing consumption rather than giving up completely if you're in that camp. Those of you that already don't eat animal products, you're doing a good a good bit for the environment that way. But we need to make sure you're you're nutritionally you know equipped and you're not missing out on nutrients and that your diet's still fulfilled with B12 or iodine you know the key key components you get from um, animal produce so we've got a bit of a difficult role I think in public health nutrition at the moment um, you know the UK don't eat well enough as it is <laughs> we know people don't even get their five a day um, and then we're asking people again to make another shift but like you said, the messages aren't coming from the government in a strong form at the moment. So I feel like we're still in the minority right now having this conversation. Let's discuss food production, the way it's harming the industry and um, some yeah. terms. So people will have heard of ecosystem loss. What do you mean if you could explain ecosystem loss, first of all? Yeah, I think I get, um, I've actually got carried away with ecosystems because it's so fascinating and so diverse. And ecosystems are all plant systems and marine systems that breathe life. Um, and it's all different species and genomes and it's just everywhere. So if you think about ecosystems, it's us, it's plants, it's wildlife. It's also it's under that soil. So it's all the little earthworms, all the bacteria and the microbes, everything that's alive. That's an ecosystem. And amazingly, we all support each other. And if we treat each other well, they treat us well. I mean, it's just, it's all give and take. Um, and if we... Um, misuse uh, or mistreat um, one of the ecosystems, then it will come back and it won't be able to give us what it has been giving us. So really, when it comes to the food system, a lot of people think about production and industry, but in fact, it's how we use the land. That's where the ecosystem is. And soil is so rich in ecosystem. It's amazing. It helps to absorb ca um, carbon, uh, the ecosystem within it, like the micro microbes, um, help to release nutrients for the plants to grow more, they take up nitrogen, they make it available for plants to use. So it's absolutely amazing what they can do. And they act a bit like an antibiotic, they keep pathogens away and the pest control as well. And they help the earth absorb water. So they've got so many functions. I love how passionately you discuss it. And it's true. We should be living in harmony more with the earth. But it's very contradictory when our population's growing. We're, we're taking up land. We're digging up soil. We're not keeping the elements of nature that we need to survive. So it, it's a difficult um 
It, it's a difficult one and it's lovely to hear. And actually, I'm really hoping that in the education system for youngsters today that those generations are getting these messages uh, because yeah. it's it's crucial. And something we also need to discuss is biodiversity loss. So how does that link into the conversation? Well, biodiversity and ecosystems are really the same thing. And it's just the complexity and the number of species that are out there. And again, with biodiversity, agriculture, unfortunately, is the biggest destruction of our biodiversity. And species are dying out at a rate thousand times greater than would be expected. And it's all about how we use land. So it's not you know, it's not the fact we've got to change our diets um, drastically, we've got to eat more plants, but we just animals take up so much of the land, especially grazing animals. And also even the land that we used to grow crops, 50% of that goes for animal feed. So even and often we talk about increasing populations, how will we feed them, we can feed them, um, absolutely fine, but crops use crops rather than animals, and you will use a lot less land. 23% of agricultured land that grows crops direct for human consumption, and it provides the majority of our protein intake and the majority of our calories. 77% of agricultured land is for livestock, either for grazing or to grow crops for them. And yet they only provide less than a fifth of our calories and 37% of our protein. So we can give back land, which is the biodiversity and keeping the ecosystems alive and all those lovely creatures there um, and bringing back some that we've lost possibly and keeping that diversity by having more plants. We don't have to obliterate livestock. We have to reduce it. Gosh, it, it really, it's a very humbling conversation in a way because I feel like we're put on this earth. This might be a bit too philosophical. I'm sorry for some of my listeners. I know this is a nutrition health podcast, but <laughs> I personally, I do have an opinion on the subject and I find it hard to sit on the fence as a public health nutritionist sometimes because I do think that, you know, we can't just consume, consume, consume and not give back and not be aware of the consequences of consumption. But equally, it's an educated opinion to have because a lot of people are not aware. The conversation we're having right now, Elfie, I'd say the bulk of the population in the UK, if you're not listening to Food for Thought, you probably don't know that there's all these microbes in the soil and, and that's what's going to help with our atmosphere. You don't know. We don't know that we're losing all of this greenery and the impact that it's having equally the agriculture, like you said. And another area that I was looking into recently is the pollution of soil and water, the amount of um, perhaps chemicals we're using on crops that is leaking down into water. I mean, do you want to delve into that a little bit for us? Another depressing, lovely bit <laughs> to the farming system. Yeah, but in one way it's depressing, but at least we're learning and we know what we need to mm. correct. It, I think we've been in a worse state. We had no idea how we were damaging the system. So you're absolutely right. So again, agriculture and livestock specifically, it's one of the biggest polluters of soil um, and of um, water as well. And it's all about how we use land again. So we keep, farmers are under so much pressure to produce crops and the same type of crops, either for our consumption or for, to feed um, animals, that the land is so depleted of nutrients, they have to use fertilizers in order to make a living. And when you add nitrogen fertilizers, it actually releases one of the most potent greenhouse gases into the atmosphere. What do we mean by that? It's a gas that can hold onto heat. And so the temperature rises a lot, lot faster. 
Also, nitrous oxide, which is the greenhouse gas it releases into the atmosphere, lasts for many thousands of years. So it really is quite damaging. At the same time, as you said, the water leaks it into the oceans and is absolutely detrimental for life in the ocean. And it actually causes dead zones. So it takes oxygen out of the ocean. It's not available for fish. And that's how we get dead zones. So that is really sort of what we're doing to it. And also because you're killing all the microbes and all the bacteria, there's nothing to release nutrients for the plant. The plant can't grow. That's what animals need, us and um, cattle need to feed in order to grow. So it's just all escalating one after the other. It's really sad. And I, I do feel that... Um... Uh, you know, it's really good to know. It's good we have this knowledge. And sometimes it's things you can't see and you think, oh, out of peace, what's the phrase? I'm out of mind, peace out of mind. I can't even think what that is right now. But I think especially when it comes to the oceans, which is another massive part of our, yeah. you know, ecosystem, the world, yeah. we don't see what's going on under the water. Therefore, we're a little bit more naive to it again. Now, let's get on to what we can do. What can we do dietary-wise? We've discussed animal consumption. How should we approach this? Yeah, um, just before we go, I just want to say as well, I think it's, um, governments have to do a lot. So as you said, for consumers, it's really difficult to put the onus on consumers, and it is overwhelming. But what governments need to do is make it accessible, the more sustainable food for health and for environment is to be more available, to be cheaper. Let unsustainable food be more expensive. Let sustainable food uh, be cheaper for the consumer. Make it more readily available. So reduce those meat aisles. I mean, that's one thing they can do. So consumers can see more of the plant aisles in order for them to choose. And that's really important. But coming to consumers, one thing they can do, it depends how frequently you have meat. And it's not switching red meat, which a lot of people think about, over to white meat, because white meat, especially chicken and poultry and pigs, use a lot of, uh, we need to grow a lot of crops for them, especially soya from the Amazon, a rainforest, which is destroying in order to feed them, because there are so many of them on the planet. So it's really cutting down overall meat intake. So if you're having meat every day, start cutting it down maybe two, three or four times a week. If you're having it three or four times a week, cut it down to twice a week and build from there. But then fill up on a variety of plants and variety is key and healthful plants. So you're talking about um, whole grains. You're talking about your tubers, potatoes, but also you're talking about legumes and beans. They are amazing because they actually are our natural fertilizers to our soil. They actually fix nitrogen in the soil. The more we eat and the more diverse varieties we grow, the better for the soil health. The microbes love it. Everyone's happy. Oh, it's, that's a very passionate discussion of mine. I'm a huge fan of getting people to eat more beans and pulses. Also, we're living in a cost of living crisis at the moment. They're more affordable for starters, yes. way more affordable. I think it's just people getting out of the mind shift. You know, meat should be actually, in terms of environmentally more expensive now, there should be less of it. And if you look at the, is it an evolutionary theory? I'm, I'm not always on top of this type of thing, but of course, back in the day, if you were to hunt for meat, it's not available left, right and center in the amount that it's available now. So we were never designed, perhaps, is an argument that some scientists have that we weren't designed to have as much as we have now. There's so many arguments aren't there out there in terms of what we should and shouldn't be doing. <laughs> and it's important that we, we just discuss them all. <laughs> 
Um, and it's really the same thing we've been saying forever. It's like have plenty of plants, but then do have a little bit of meat because it's exceptionally rich, but we're just having too much of it. You know, it's estimated by 2050, um, population grown to 10 billion will have 100 million more tons of humans, if you look at it that way. But livestock, if we continue on this road, we're going to have 400 million more tons of livestock on the planet. You know, we just meat is increasing, you know, we think. And there was a study um, published saying that meat consumption in the UK has reduced by 17 percent. But in order to actually help reduce greenhouse emissions, we need to reduce by at least 30 percent. And the Oxford group are actually saying in the UK by over 80 percent meat reductions. I think people have we've got to think about behavior change. And we've got to move the masses quite far. So things saying don't have meat is ridiculous. And also dairy. Let's not forget dairy cattle as well. It's exactly the same. They they emit the most one of the most potent greenhouse gases, and they're the biggest um, destroyers of biodiversity. So we do need to not omit it, reduce it. And there's so many more options now out there. So we do need to think a little bit more differently. And things need to be more available, but it doesn't have to be more expensive, like you said, because it is really important, like cans of beans. I mean, there's so many varieties now and grains, whole grains are really, really cheap. So we can do that as well and try different grains. You know, quinoa is absolutely brilliant for protein as well, as well as being a grain. Um, try different beans, try seeds, you know, go for seeds, sprinkle them on everything um, and different types of seeds. So the more variety the more variety we grow, the healthier the soil. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Oh, I love that. So my... um. And for the listeners, my little boy, um, he's toddler oh. now, he's nearly three. Wow. But um, I give him, yeah, he's, he's, he has his moments. Yeah, he's nearly three. I give him sprinkles, but it's actually flaxseed and things. And he gets very excited about it. I'm like, oh, do you want some sprinkles this morning oh, on your breakfast? And he loves it. 
And I think we've got the power if we have, it's all about education, but we've got the power to introduce these things to the next generation so they don't know any different. Yeah. They won't have to be reducing things because they're being brought up to, to, to love and enjoy these items of foods in a different way that perhaps the generations before them have. So yeah. I do think we have the power to make dietary change. It is just getting this message out there. Now, we haven't touched on fish Fish is difficult to navigate for a consumer now. Of course, it's expensive. Is there such a thing as sustainable fish? It's debated at the moment. Um, if you look at the numbers globally, <laughs> the answer is really it's not sustainable um, unless we allow it to regrow naturally and our fishing um, practices are, are better and more sustainable. There are some ways you can have a look at more, more sustainably sourced fish, and that's the um, the MSC, um, so it's the Marine Stewardship Council logo, which is the blue logo um, that's on food, um, on fish, and that helps you identify foods that are more sustainably sourced. It doesn't mean they're ideal, but the better source and that's aggressively source. But there's also aquaculture, which means farmed fish. And because of our demands, you know, we do need farmed fish and the loss of sea life we've had. Um, and there is also the aquaculture stewardship council's logo, which is a green tick logo that's on ship to say that this farmed fish has been done better because a lot of farmed fish isn't actually that sustainable and it actually increases um, emissions as well and not great for biodiversity. Um, so we need to sort of see some countries have a lot, others have very little. We know the UK, we're not great fish eaters, especially oil rich fish, which are really sort of rich in omega 3s um, and vitamin D is one of the richest food sources of vitamin D. So I think we need to with fish, it is a difficult one. There are things you can do to make sure more sustainable, but it, it is difficult. It's difficult, nutritionally speaking, as well, because I think a lot of people, OK, you've got alternatives to dairy very easily in terms of fortified foods now with the nutrients perhaps you'd get in dairy products. But when it comes to omega-3s, I think it's... And we also don't have... The guidelines aren't that great in the UK, a bit vague, I think, in terms of omega-3, especially for children and adults. And it, it's a, I don't think there's enough information out there on where to get it. Do we all need to be taking a supplement if fish consumption isn't there? There's a lot of discussion in this area. Perhaps I should do a whole separate podcast just on omega-3 because um, it's a big topic. I think it'd be fascinating. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And we, we need, to, obviously, we need a lot more research as with everything. I remember one of my lecturers at university Professor Simon Dahl was so passionate about the subject of omega-3s. and um, But anyway, that's a different topic. So I think for a lot of people, they're saying, yeah, well, if I cut out this, where am I going to get this nutrition from? So it, it is a huge shift that we have to do. And you've worked on one of the most amazing pieces of research to come out. And you worked on the Blue Dot with um, the British Dietetic Association, the BDA. And I loved it when that came out. And this was really the start or a spark for all health professionals like myself to really get behind something and educate ourselves. Could you give people an idea on how to get a more sustainable diet? What should they be looking at every day? How are they going to be eating following this advice? Yeah, so um, it's just to rethink when you look at your lunch or when you re, um, say it's a sandwich for lunch, it's to really rethink and say, have I maximised the plants and not just the quantity, but the variety? Can I put another vegetable 
you know, in my sandwich to actually just increase the number of plants. It's my bread whole meal. It's my wrap whole meal. Um, so I can make it more healthful. And then I can have protein. It doesn't have to be meat. If you want meat, make it lean and make it a small quantity, but really bulk it up with vegetables. You can go for falafel and hummus as well. When you're looking at a meal on a plate, then really think about it. It should be packed full of plants. So looking at your cheapest potatoes or looking at your rice, or your whole grain pasta, your quinoa, teft, all other grains spelt. You can even use pearl barley. Think about different grains and then your vegetables. Can you add more than two or three vegetables to really increase it? And then the plate, your plate should have a tiny amount for meat. If at all, you can go meat free sometimes. If you like cooking, then any recipes with meat, half the meat to begin with, and bulk it up with beans or mushrooms are really good textural um, from it replaced. Also, we've got microproteins. They're brilliant and brilliant for biodiversity. They use absolutely no land at all. They're absolutely amazing. And they taste really good now. So let's do that. Um, so use uh, microproteins, the soy milk. So let's just to interject um just to explain to people, microproteins are things like soy mints, um, the branded labelling of corn produce, things like that. So they're not actually bad for the environment then? No, no at all. Corn especially because it's um, a microprotein. It's actually uh, done in vat, so it doesn't actually use up any land at all. So that's um, brilliant. Soya as well, a lot of people, is an exceptional quality protein. And people are always saying, oh, the Amazon, the Amazon, what what? What isn't often said is the fact that 90% of soya grown in the Amazon, which is destroying our biggest rainforest that protects greenhouse gas emissions from being released and actually absorbs them back into the um, ground, is actually used for animal feed. So the less animals we consume, and especially for poultry and pigs, so the less animals we consume, the less the Amazon has to be broken down and in fact the majority of soya that's grown for human consumption so your drinks your soy mints uh, your tofu that sort of thing is actually grown away from the amazon in north america in europe actually a lot of it's grown now as well as asia so it doesn't damage you know the ecosystem as much and we use again much less land just 23 percent of land of all crops to give us a majority of protein and calories so absolutely fine to do that so you have to experiment to begin with experiment there's so much variety if you don't like something fine try another variety and you'll find something and again cost wise they go from really cheap to really expensive again go for your budget and there's still lots of varieties within each budget so you might have to do a bit of work to begin with yeah, no. Oh, it's br brilliant and so reassuring to hear about soy. We actually, um, if anyone's confused about the nutrition of soy, I have a whole podcast episode on soy because it does not, um, it does not interfere with estrogen as people are led to believe online. If you read all the pseudoscientific advice out there, soy is actually very nutritious and in the right quantities, very, very helpful for us. Now, waste. Let's touch on waste oh. because it's nine, is it 9.6 million tons of waste in, is it like in the UK? It's crazy. Yeah, in the UK, it's one of the big, a third of the food produced is wasted. So think about all that land that we've agricultured and released all the carbon back into the atmosphere and reduces potential to absorb back that carbon. Think about all the fertilizers that we use to produce it. 
you know, just everything, the biodiversity that was lost, the water pollution that was um, done because of the amount of water use, 70% of water is actually used for agriculture and predominantly in countries that have got water scarcity. So just, yeah, so an eight to 10% of total greenhouse gas emissions come from waste. A third, up to a third of greenhouse gas emissions come from agriculture and food, our food system, but eight to 10% comes from waste. And why is that? Again, it's the way we've just wasted all that land, but also rotting vegetation releases methane into the atmosphere. The most potent, one of the mo more potent greenhouse gases. So it's a really big thing. And in fact, if you look at all the big organizations, the three top dietary advice is more plants and variety and healthy plants more legumes as well within that. The next one is reduced livestock. But the third one the focus on is less waste because it's so potent to the environment. It's a good discussion to have because I think we could all make massive changes in the way we consume and the way we cook food. There's lots of nice, cool movements on social media about using the whole broccoli, including the stalk. You know, I, I so I use the stalk in my kids' mac and cheese. I blend it up in the cheese sauce. They have no idea once it's cooked. Yeah. You know, cauliflower leaves are delicious. You can you can use up food. But also to add, these changes are not just good for the environment, but they are good for your health too. They may lower your risk of cardiovascular disease with the increased amount of fibre that you're having. Your heart health is very important. Lower your risk of type 2 diabetes. There's lots of bowel cancers even. There's a lot of health-related risks. But... We don't have time to go into too much, so I'm going to move on to questions from our listeners for you, Elfie. Organic. I think organic's good. Sasha has said, are organic diets better for the planet? Because there's a huge health halo around organic, isn't there? There is. And organic diets, in some respect, are better, but not if we continue, especially with animals, not if we continue to consume them at this mm. vast level. It's just because they take up so much land. And then that land impacts on how much carbon we can take out of the atmosphere to keep the temperature down. And also it affects the, um, the little microbes that live underneath it and all these um, and all the ecosystem under within the soil. So it's really important that we rewild land, give back land. So yes, go organic. You tend to use less fertilizers, but we still have to consume less. That's organic dairy and organic meat and especially cattle, cows and sheep. Yeah. So interesting there that potentially environmental benefit, but nutritionally speaking, they're pretty much on a par, aren't they, in terms of the nutrient values that they give the consumer? I think there's something about omegas being higher in organic uh, dairy and different items, but in general, nutrient-wise, cost is quite it's significantly more the cost, isn't it, organic? Yeah, but 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 also from a nutritional aspect for a dairy alternatives so or plant-based drinks, unfortunately. Organic laws means they cannot be fortified. So if you opt for an organic plant-based drink, you will get no calcium, you will get none of the vitamins as if you go for a non-organic. And I don't think organic farming does enough to the environment to actually support it overall. You know, we have to change the way we're consuming food. You know, organic meat and dairy, no. 
um, it's still damaged. We've got to cut down. Yeah. Okay. So what about um, fair trade to Felix? God, we've never had the name Felix come up before. I like the name Felix. Hi. <laughs> good question, Felix. He's, That's he said... my godson's name. That's my godson. Ah, it's a good name. It's a great name. <laughs> good. Well, well, let's have Felix's question. He said, are fair trade products more sustainable? Yeah. If you look at the definition of sustainability it has to encompass a lot of things as well as cultural differences financial um, factors as well but also how people are treated how the workers are treated and also animal welfare how animals are treated and how land is treated so that is more sustainable if you're actually helping um, the workers there to have a reasonable um, livelihood and also to have a better quality of life um, as well so it's one aspect of sustainability but at the end of the day it is always about having more and a bigger variety of plants in our diets yeah and then on, a, I mean, this is a, a different type of question that Libby's brought up that I've just read here. Um, and actually, I will say that um, there is a baby food brand. It's about baby food that is recyclable now called Little Freddy's. Um, but I think that's the first one in the UK. Yeah, which is amazing because finally, but she said, how can I make my child's diet more sustainable as many baby pouches are not recyclable? And that's true. All these baby pouches just going straight to landfill. Exactly. I mean, I must admit, baby food is not my big area. So I don't know whether you can bulk uh, buy foods in much bigger uh, portions. But I do know for convenience, you want them individually wrapped. And there's nothing we can do about that, except, unfortunately, going back and maybe 50-50 using pouches, but then preparing food at home yourself. Because there's no reason why, especially after the age of one, children cannot have foods that we're having. There's no reason why they need pouched or special foods at all. Yeah, no, it's it's very interesting. It's really true. And I will also add, you know, there are brands now that do recycle. But James has said, is palm oil bad for the environment? Do we need to include it in our diets? Oh, that's a really, no, that's an excellent question. Because one thing I'll say about the the new wave of plant foods, you know, your burgers and all these dishes that are coming out, you have to look at them really, really carefully because there's, not all plants are equal. Not all plants are healthy. Sugar is a plant. You wouldn't exactly advocate it. And the same with palm oil. It can be sustainably sourced, which means environmentally it's better for the environment. However, the saturated fat levels in it are horrendous. Um, and coconut is even worse. The amount of saturated fat in coconut fat is far bigger than lard and beef dripping. And people don't realize that. And my bugbear is coconut yogurts. Um, there's one brand that 150 gram pot of coconut yogurt exceeds our recommended maximum intake of saturated fat. So on the health and environmental aspect, the answer is look at the labels. If it's got coconut or palm oil, just say no from health and sustainability and environmental sustainability. That's really important because, again, um, the, the term you've probably heard me use throughout this podcast is maybe a health halo. Yes. And, um, you know, I delve into those in my Science of Nutrition book for my listeners. You know, I go for all the marketing buzzwords, natural, um, you yeah. know, those sorts of things that make you think that it's great. Coconut is a good example of that. You need very small amounts of it. It's very high in saturated fat. Now, we're going to move on to our fact or fiction round, Elfie. Are you ready? Oh, I hope so. <laughs> if you could answer fact or fiction to the following, 
Um, here we go. Sustainability is just about climate change. Fiction. Just simply, as I said before, the definition it encompasses human and planetary health and also animal welfare, sociocultural aspects, financial aspects as well. So, yeah, that's everything. Perfect. Eating a sustainable diet is expensive. No, you might have to work on it a little bit more. That's fiction. It can be economical. Genetically modified foods are sustainable. Um, that I don't actually know. I've got to say, um, because we don't have GMO in the UK. So can I skip? I, I can't comment on that one. Sorry. No, good to answer because we don't have it in the UK. Food production contributes up to 30% of global greenhouse gas emissions. Absolutely true. And predominantly from agriculture, how we treat our land. Yeah. Producing nuts uses lots of water. Depends. It depends on the nut. It depends where it's grown. So for almonds in California where it's dry, definitely true. If it's Mediterranean and other nuts, false. Interesting. There you go. Um, food miles are important when looking at sustainability. No, unfortunately, fiction. It's how they're transported. So air freighted, huge footprint. If it's shipped or it's lorried over, short footprint. And also, if we consume uh, fruit and vegetables that are grown in heated greenhouses, you might as well have them air freighted. Oh, so interesting. Mm. I love that answer to that one. Um, we have to eat sustainably all the time to make a difference. Fact. Yeah, because it's the overall diet over a lot. It doesn't mean every single food you have must be 100% sustainable, but over the course of your lifetime, yes. Avocados have a large carbon footprint. They do tend to have a much larger carbon footprint, but also because we have them all year round, out of season, and because they're quite fragile, they can, yeah. So, yeah, yeah fact. <laughs> um, Plant-based drinks are a good dairy alternative. As long as they're fortified, fact drinking coffee is bad for the environment uh, fiction fact depends it's when you look at um, greenhouse gas emissions from different foods look at how the the units of measurement so if you're comparing a kilogram of coffee with a kilogram of another beverage the answer is absolutely yes but we don't consume coffee by the kilograms we consume it by a teaspoon. So everything's got to be in perspective and in context of how we consume it. So the next time you look at a comparison, have a look at how they've measured them. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And Elfie, that concludes our fact or fiction round. You did it. Oh, wow. It was so enjoyable. Thank you. Absolute pleasure. And that does conclude the episode. And we always finish with a food for thought, which makes sense, right, at the end yes. of the podcast. And I think I'll start by just concluding and just saying that, first of all, we do all need to change and be aware of this subject. I think it's so important that we, we all know that we're all making an impact to the environment. We live on this planet. We need to give back and do what we can. But small changes have big results. That's what I want to really instill to our listeners is that we can all make a difference. I loved Alfie's tip on if you are a big meat eater and you're listening to this podcast, thank you, first of all. And second of all, just half it and then bulk it up with some more beans and pulses. Just, you know, cut back gradually. It doesn't need to go completely. 
And if you're already a plant-based listener, to scratch up on your nutrition, because plant-based means reduction in animal products. It doesn't mean vegan. So they're two very different things. Everybody doesn't have to go vegan to help the environment. But if you are, it's probably doing something. But if you're plant-based, equally, it's as beneficial. So that's my kind of conclusion. What would your take-home message be for our listeners, Alfie? Um, well, if I can quote George Monbiot, who's actually an environmental campaigner and columnist, he says it's always easier to hear the comforting lie than to hear a discomforting truth. And the truth is a planet time bomb is ticking and we have to change our are um, the way we eat quite drastically, but we can all do it by taking small steps. Just look at your plate and just fill it up with the great variety of plants um, and meat, let that be a garnish. Let that have that special treat as well as dairy. And then let's just be kind to nature as well as to ourselves. And we can secure our future generations um, health and well-being. I think what I want to say. No, I think it's perfect. And it's a very, very good quote. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you so much for your knowledge and coming on Food for Thought today. It's been an utter pleasure. Thank you. If you're enjoying Food for Thought, hope so, <laughs> you'll love the upcoming episodes. So if you don't already, please subscribe. Make sure that you click to be the first to hear it each Monday. There's a lot of podcasts out there now, and I really hope that we're maintaining the ultimate research and the ultimate guest to make sure that you're getting the best experience possible. So if you're having a good time and you're learning lots, please do leave a review if you can so we can reach those higher highs in the charts and ultimately get to reach more people. That's what it's all about. And for more information about my best-selling books, the science of nutrition, of course, uh, deliciously healthy pregnancy, the Retrition Clinic, recipes, so much more, just head over to retrition.com and follow me at Retrition on all social media platforms, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com 